Welcome to another episode of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, Zilpha, and um, tonight I, I'm still on the right of John. I should be in the driver's seat, John. Do you want to you come sit over here? It's all right. John, welcome. Thank you. And glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Elisa. Always a pleasure. And Chris. Hello, everyone. And Melissa. Hi. Um, so you can... Has anybody else noticed that the estrogen levels of Mormon expression have been going up lately? I find myself... <laughs> That's what I was just going to mention, but there's a good reason for it. Oh, okay. Well, last time you, um, for the modesty one, you stocked it heavy with women because it affects women more than it does did men. Did you say I was heavily stocking? <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you say? <laughs> you heard me. And then, um, this one, we're going to be talking about something that also applies very much to women. Um, so John is here because... As the token <laughs> The priesthood holder. You got to have one yeah. to say the prayers. <laughs> just, just the opening. <laughs> just the opening. So every year, um, about this time of year, Christmas time, I start um, thinking about birth and kind of the the wonder that goes along with that. And that leads me to the one and only um, gender who so far has been able to grow and birth a, a human a newborn, and that is women. And so I want to talk about women. Big fan. <laughs> I have to say, just put, it out that, put that out early. Big fan of women. Women are, are just fine. Um, but so I want to talk about women in context of the LDS family and what the role of women is and um, what LDS mothers look like, what they're expected to do, um, and what the doctrine is behind behind LDS womanhood in a family. Um, so why don't we start with the uh, eternal aspect of this role? What, what is it that, that is eternal? In my in my readings, preparing for this, um, our womanhood is eternal, and they differentiated between motherhood and actually giving birth. Like there was a lot of, you can be a mother without getting birth kind of things. Mother mothering is your natural instinct to take care. Um, mothering is your caring and your caretaking. And so that came with us and it will go with us. And it doesn't matter if we have kids or not. And I'm not just talking about the sad paragraphs they have at the end of every mothering article. If you haven't had kids yet, it's okay. You will in the future. I'm just talking about they set out the fact that this is who you are. As a woman, you are a mother. You have these natural instincts to take care and to serve. Yeah, to jump in on that. Pat Holland, who is Jeffrey Holland's wife, uh, once gave a talk, and it was kind of also repeated by Sherry Dew, in which she basically said, if you look at the story of Adam and Eve, um, Adam named her Eve, which means mother, before she was ever a mother. So it, so mothering is something that is eternal to her nature, that it's not um, dependent on whether she actually has children or not. So Right, and I, and I think the reason um, in the proclamation on the family it says that gender is eternal. Um, in Mormonism, it's an important doctrinal element because we believe that we were all born as spirits from Heavenly Father before we ever came to earth. So we existed. We were born from a father and a mother because you can't be born without a father and a mother. I mean, obviously. So that's where the... the eternal mother comes into play in Mormonism. And if there's an eternal mother, then she must have always been a woman, a mother. So, and we were born as male or female, and it can never change. Uh, this is according to Mormon doctrine. Well, and interesting, <clears throat> interestingly enough, like Sonia Farnsworth uh, makes the argument that um, since today we kind of make motherhood equal to priesthood in, in Mormonism. She kind of talks about how um, the word mother has almost become a sacred title in the same sense as elder or bishop, which, which I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> I don't think that's really true, but they can try to tell us that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think she just meant functionally wise, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know what I like about that? Well, you, you know how like the devil has an apron of his um, priesthood. Like, you can't in this life like get the priesthood on the sly, but you can have a baby when you're 16, right? So, if the priest, if the motherhood and and a priesthood are equivalent, then you can sneak into the equivalency as a woman. I mean, I mean, obviously that's absurd because the the comparison of saying motherhood is the equivalent of the priesthood, which which I agree wholeheartedly, the church does, is an absurdity mm. and an insult. Well, um, all women can not all women. Most women have the capacity of growing and birthing children, but that doesn't mean they have anything to do with the church or spirituality or mothering. Well, and, and and the church parses mother like they parse a lot of other words. Like at first, I was like, this is bullcrap because anyone can be a mother we all know crappy mothers and to say that all mothers are wonderful peaceful loving kind god-fearing people is just a load we all know this but it's if you the more you read about it the more you're like oh you mean air quotes mother you know like their version of mother (laughs) and it's not the same but because i was with you i was like to me it's disrespectful of mothers to say all mothers have these eternally benign passive service oriented qualities these beautiful spiritual ladies when you know plenty of mothers out there that are not they're lousy mothers well that's all together it's just um it, it to me it, it what it means is you're not paying attention and you're just trying to say something that makes me happy makes and you're not thinking good. about what you're saying mm-hmm. well melissa Oh, I was just going to say, and not only that, but if I were a man, I might be a little more offended by this too, because really what is it about a woman besides the actual birthing process? But you could take out the word mother and use father just as easily, but yet fathers are still able to have the priesthood as well. Exactly. Well, that's an excellent point. I think in the church, and it's a backhanded thing, it's it's something a, 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 that, that we throw the women a bone where we try to denigrate fatherhood. And it's it's really, like you say, insulting to, to both men and women um, because we we put women up on this golden gilded cage of a pedestal. Floor mat. <laughs> and, but, but, and, and we, we really just, dist- I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, every Mother's Day Sunday in Mormon wards is a tradition of passing out flowers. I think they're moving away from it a little bit. But they always pass a flower out as a booby prize literally, um, to every woman in the congregation, everyone who's above 18. So this is supposed to be the church's time where we honor motherhood. And what do they do? They piss all over that by just saying, oh, we're going to give this to everybody, carte blanche. Yeah, but if they didn't, then the the women who were trying to get pregnant would be really hurt. That points to the absurdity of this whole doctrine, because if you try to say, well, women, the role of motherhood is an equivalency to the priesthood, Right. Um, then the the well, problem actually, is some women can't do it. So what what a messed up. We talk about the God who won't heal amputees. You want to talk about a messed up God? It's the God who says the central role of a whole gender is one thing and one thing only: motherhood. And f- you, you're not going to get it because I mean that's right. that's awful. That I mean that, that's that's as low women, as you can go if that's the one purpose you have on on the planet. Right. Well, and a lot of people don't. Yeah. Like you say, they don't have control over whether or not they can or not. You know? mm-hmm. But I think John has like there's again the the two definitions of motherhood. OK, so I think that we have to use their definition to talk about their motherhood. Their definition is like it says motherhood is more than bearing children, though it's certainly that. It's the essence of who we are as women. It's the essence of who we are as women. And even if you don't have children, it's still your essence. Mm -hmm. and defines our very identity, our divine stature, and our nature, and the unique traits our Father gave us. I don't agree with this, per se. But if we're going to talk about the LDS roles of mothering, then we have to accept that that includes people who can't have children, too. And so giving flowers to everyone over 18 does actually make sense in that. In that. Well, it's that whole idea that you can someday be a mother, even if it's not on this, you know, right? And life. and you can um, mother your nieces and nephews and the children in the ward and all that stuff. Right. Um, 
Um, but I, I, along the same line, they, they compare like motherhood to priesthood. And we're talking about air quote motherhood, exactly. the church motherhood. And I just think if there is like, you know how the sons of perdition are people who had the priesthood and believed in God and then denied it. What if you become a crappy mom? Is there the same <laughs> kind of, I mean, and I mean in the air quote motherhood, you become a non-peaceful, non you know, like their essence of who mother is, if you deny to be that. a son of perdi- or a daughter of perdition in that sense, you'd probably would have to totally abandon your children. Or say they don't I do not about- ever want to have children. And you might be seen as Right. Right, right. Doing that. As sort denying of thing. your power. But you don't ever hear about that because mothers But I don't think that they that they really think that mothering is powerful, although sometimes they use that, that term, I think that what they, they see women as help meets for men or help mates for men. Um, M. Russell Ballard, um, just last year, April 2010, said, Sisters, we, your brethren, cannot do what you were divinely desi- designated to do from before the foundation of the world. We may try, but we cannot ever hope to replicate your unique gifts. There is nothing in this world as personal, as nurturing, or as life-changing as the influence of a righteous woman. But because all women have within their divine nature both the inherent talent and the stewardship to mother, most of what I will say applies equally equally to grandmothers, aunts, sisters, stepmothers, mother-in-laws, leaders, and other mentors who sometimes fill the gaps for these significant mother-daughter relationships. He was talking to mothers and daughters. Um, so he's saying we cannot, we cannot ever hope to replicate your unique gifts in this in this aspect. But basically, but you're so unique and you're so special, and you all are unique and special. In the I same know, way. I love that. Like you guys are the most. This is the most unique thousand people I've ever met. <laughs> what <laughs> what I find, unique. what I find particularly um, interesting about that quote is when you flip it. You flip the gender and you say, um, <laughs> dear sisters, you know, you men cannot do or, or you women cannot do what we men could do. Like we we have been divinely instituted to lead and preside in the home, to have careers, and you just can't do it as good as we can. So sorry, you know, and if right. you flip it like that, you can see just how kind of twisted it, is. it sort of is. Uh, well, yeah, and it's also mean to fathers who who really involve themselves yeah. themselves there in the so caretaking of their children really truly nurturing men and i think to to have him go out there and say i'm a man i cannot be as nurturing as you are so here you do it all yes because, that's right. you guys haven't pointed so out it's a back mean. door it is it's it it allows men and and if you think about like mm-hmm. the men who really lead in the church callings take increasing amount of time you know a bishop's going to take 30 40 hours a week, a stake presence could be equal, area authorities, you guys are traveling, general authorities. I mean, these guys were not home at all. And they have this back door saying, well, you know, I don't have to nurture my kids. I don't have to be there for them because women are so much better at it. You know, it's like my daughter says to me when I get her, try to ask her to, to load the dishwasher. Oh, but you're so much better at loading the dishwasher. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's a, it's a out that men use to try to get out of home responsibility, frankly. Well, and that that's kind of the, the ironic thing about it is here it's a, a man telling women what womanhood is. This is what womanhood is. And and it's, it's just interesting because it's defined by people who don't, like motherhood becomes defined by those who don't actually um, do it. Uh, and, and so, you know, and, and I think what's really crazy about all that is it sends all these messages about this is what a woman needs to be if you if you aren't happy in this role then there's something wrong with you because these are your eternal attributes so if you don't have them then you're screwed up as a woman because every woman has and i have to say i don't have those nurturing attributes and everybody does a little bit but to say absolutely but i after like reading this and evaluating where i was before i had kids um, it's, you mean thinking about thinking being a about, mother? Yeah. I, I hadn't really planned much. I was just supposed to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many, many men out there that are way more nurturing and patient and loving and kind and mothering than I am. And my, and, but that doesn't mean that you're not a good parent. I mean, there no. are, but like you said, it's kind of the narrowly, narrowly defined and yet broadly defined motherhood. So Let's get into what does a mother in Mormonism look like? 
what is she expected to do? What is she expected to, um, how is she expected to act? I think the main thing is she's supposed to just sacrifice. She's supposed to she's serve June and Cleaver. sacrifice. Sorry, she's what? So what? I just said, sorry, she's June Cleaver. Yes. Basically. So, where's that quote on sacrifice you read me this afternoon? It's sort of a horrific. Yeah, I, I might not have put it in my quotes. Is it in that book, Women? Uh, it, yeah. It, 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 I think it's absolutely right. That, that women are conditioned from very early on that their identity is in service. And service is Mormon code word for doing things for other people, not for yourselves. Right. So that means going without or providing, you know, providing. I'll, I'll give you an example. For, for a lot of you, I may have shared the story before, but for a lot of years, my mother was the go-to um, hostess in the stake. Um, whenever a, a general authority would visit. And so the MO that the church does, they, they move their general authorities around to visit for state conferences, and they have a schedule that they hand to the state president. They say, we will go to the church and we'll meet with these guys on this day and these guys on this day and these guys on this day. Well, they would have the, the Relief Society bring and cook meals for the general authorities at the stake center when they're there, so the general authorities don't have to go to restaurants. Um and and they were they were under strict instruction never to speak to the general authorities only answer when spoken to, um you know they were supposed to stand back and not hover and you know the kind of things you would tell like the house servants in in eighteen forty and, and you know and this was this was like ten years ago so so I think that that whole role of you have to sacrifice everything including your identity in the church including your and basically be a ghostwriter when they. When they talk about these things, you know, man, uh, woman is a help meet for man. But, you know, how many of you can name off the names of the wives of the 15 apostles? You know, but you can all name the 15 apostles, even though they're meets, help meets for the apostles. Yes. Um, as far as helpmate goes, um, the young women are taught um, a woman should never minimize the tremendous power. There's the word power of being a comfort and help to her husband. He may have need to be comforted and encouraged to perform his roles as husband, provider, leader, or teacher. Can you imagine the priesthood manual saying, you guys don't know how much power you have to comfort your wife. Like that's, that's going to be your key role and you better practice. And to help him out and support. And help out your wife. Help and her and support her. her. In, in, nurturing the home what would they do tell the men is to be kind and loving yeah it's it's great but i'm just saying like you you yeah, just don't yeah. turn that around and say so i have um a talk called a mother heart by julie beck oh that uh, one yes yeah <laughs> i know and um so she goes through a list of things that a mother heart needs and i just love how she's got like this um i don't want to say orwellian language but she creates mother heart as a word um Anyway, nurture is like the number one key role of women, like our, our inherent nurturing. Um, testimony, the restored gospel, teaches the principle of the gospel, uh, keeps sacred covenants made in the temple. Her talents and skills are shared unselfishly. She gains as much education as her circumstances will allow, improving her mind and her spirit with the desire to teach what she learns to the generations who follow her. So nurturer and teacher and even your education that you get is in order to teach it to the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, teach, teach, testimony so you can teach your testimony and keep your covenants and nurture. And so it is, like you guys were saying in the modesty one, um, the role of women is directly related to how they serve other people. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's, it's not self-empowering. Well, well so I don't have a problem with the idea of service in and of itself. I don't think service is necessarily a bad thing. What I disagree with is when the suggestion is that that's an innate female attribute. That's what kind of bothers me because um, that's very closely related to saying that it's an innate um, female attribute to be a servant. A slave. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I, I just don't think it suggests a very healthy role for women um, because in those kind of statements, I don't hear any kind of an acknowledgement that a woman should set reasonable boundaries for what she can and cannot do for other people and negotiate that with the people in her lives. I, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, I will do this and I won't do that and I need my space and yes. let's all get along. That so. a woman has needs that she needs to be aware of and and protect. And, and then it's okay to voice those uh -huh. and ask for help when you need it. 
Yes, and Julie Beck has another wonderful one called Mothers Who Know. I hate that one. I I know, I I did that one today, too. Well, you you were talking about nurturing, and we have been. Um, So she says another word for nurturing is homemaking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I put in quotes, made. Uh, So she says homemaking includes cooking, washing clothes and dishes, and keeping an orderly home. Home is where women have the most power and influence. Therefore, Latter-day Saint women should be the best homemakers in the world. <laughs> Nurturing mothers are knowledgeable, but not but all the education women attain will avail them nothing if they do not have the skill to make a home that creates a climate for spiritual growth. Growth happens best in a house of order, and women should pattern their homes after the Lord's house. You know, when I was an undergraduate at BYU, we were studying a, a I was taking a theater class, and we were studying a, a, a movement of theater called absurdism. And the if you've seen plays like Waiting for Godot, it's about characters who do the same thing over and over and over in their lives, and they never achieve transcendence. They just kind of do the same thing, and, and nothing ever happens to them as characters. They don't progress or anything like that. And uh, my professor was theorizing that because um, a lot of women in this class would be like, I hate these plays so much. And he would say, I wonder if part of it might be that uh, a woman's work is absurd, you know, because if you think about doing household chores, you could do it every day. Like you could you do the laundry one day perfectly. You have to do it again the next week or whenever you, you have never to do it. make progress. Yeah. You, you always never. have to cook again. You always have to do the dishes again. I mean, it's an absurd kind of it is over and over and over. And it can be numbing. At some point. I mean, those things have to be done, right? But why should all of the burden of those mundane tasks fall on women? But, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I want to dig even a little bit deeper into even the concept of the home. Um, even. I, I read Bill Bryson's book, uh, The Home, that came out last year, which is a, um, a story, uh, basically a history of the evolution of our concept of home. Um, it's really fascinating. I recommend that book and all of Bryson's books. But because what we envision as the home is a relatively new construction. And even a hundred years ago, and especially 200 years ago, they wouldn't have seen it the same way. But you know how there's this romanticization of 19th century British gentry? You see it all the time in, you know, Jane Austen novels and stuff. Um, we have adopted that full, full on. Now, the, because that was the model of the way a house should be run. But they ran those houses with armies of servants, yeah. right? And and we still have this concept of this house where everything is in order, all the laundry is done, you know, you have fine china for the meals, and and forgetting that this was done by a household of houseworkers. But we've 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 constructed this idealization that appears in these magazines and in the enzyme. Go look, and they have fetishized the home. I'm fascinated by the pictures in the enzyme to just ignore all the people, even though they're all white and blonde and no, scrubbed no, they're, and happy. They're they're much more diversified there's now. there's white scrub but the homes Hispanics are now too, still but, completely but, but the, the homes are immaculate upper middle class there's never anything out of place um and if you go into desert book you'll see that it's gone from selling books to mostly this all this um lds fetish gear um that you hang all over your, your, your walls <laughs> um but but what i'm saying is it's an unachievable goal it can't be done it realistically unless you just do that all the time 60 hours a week so all these women who have all this stuff put upon them are are working towards a goal that can never be done they can they will always fall short because the home doesn't exist it's 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 a it's an imaginary castle the closing prayer will now be said (laughs) i had something i was going to say and then it left my mind well i have one thing and then julie beck's talk we were talking about education she talks about how she went to a park and um, she met with a group of women with mother hearts and they were young covenant keeping women. They were bright and had obtained advanced degrees from respected universities. And I just thought that was interesting that she pointed out they were respected universities. Um, and they had two-year-olds and they were teaching two-year-olds to be kind to each other. And they were using their considerable gifts to plan dinner and share housekeeping ideas. You need a master's degree. Yeah. I know. They were soothing babies and kissing bruised knees and wiping tears. But but the very first thing she does is point out that these are highly educated women. I asked one of those mothers, this is what she says. I asked one of those mothers how it came about that she could transfer her talent so cheerfully into the role of motherhood. She replied, I know who I am and I know what I'm supposed to do. The rest just follows. Oh. And this is what, and this talk is like... 
really, really recent. And, and that's what our young women, 2010, that's what our young women are hearing. And that's what I heard as a mother. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. And the rest just follows. And the other thing that you hear as a mother, like they, they kind of set you up going into motherhood. Um, I have a highly developed sense of guilt. I inherited it. I don't <laughs> think all women inherit this in sense of guilt, but oh, I think I, they do. I think a lot of them do, but not everyone because, um, all I, all I had to think about is what I probably am supposed to maybe be doing and I'll have to do it because I mean, I'm, I'm well, growing that- out of it. But I remember learning when I was a kid that, um, that we don't take a stance on birth control. It's, it's between you and the Lord. But as they're saying it, they're frowning. And I know in my head <laughs> that they don't like birth control and that that's not what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So after, like, after we were married, we were going to wait a year to have children. We were both in college, but I was, I'd almost graduated. I was a senior and we were going to wait a year. And within two months, we're like, we're supposed to have kids. What I know if there's the a child Holy up there? Spirit has told us that we're supposed to have kids. We both had revelation that we were supposed to have kids. And our um, our firstborn was born pretty much on our anniversary, our first anniversary. And the rest of them were very, very close after that because my mom had her kids close together. So I thought that's the way it's supposed to do. But what I'm trying to say is I was taught um, birth control is kind of an option, but only if you need it. And it's between you and the Lord. So wink, wink. It's not really an option for me. You know, because the second lesson was, um, the Lord will only give you what you can bear. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so if you are choosing not to have children, you're not having faith in Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And you should have as many children as you can because Heavenly Father will only give you what you can handle. Plus, every child is a gift. And maybe that's the lesson you need to learn. Right. Maybe this child is maybe going one to teach more. You. Then you'll be yeah. like, okay, yeah, this and child then, is and a And then, gift. if you feel any discomfort or guilt, it's that one kid that got left behind that needs to come down. Mm-hmm. Any discomfort, any guilt for thinking that maybe you could have handled another one, but you didn't have it, mm-hmm. is oh no, I think there might be another one kind of waiting for you. And it's so easy to get reaffirmation because it's so pro-child. And then you're also taught that your highest calling is that of, of a, a mother. And that actually there's kind of no other calling. This is your job. And it really sets women up for having children early and often. Well, and like feeling guilty because they, they can't do it perfectly. Or maybe it's they don't impossible. want to. I was, I was so young, I feel like. I was really young. And I was 22 when our, uh, when our first one was born. So I wasn't a teenager. Well, that's still young. But it was, it's now I know it's really young. Well, I, th- I think the key that you've really hit on there is the element of choice. What it is, it's about removing the choice, all of the choices, you know, about uh, you, you don't have a choice about when you can have kids. You don't have a choice about what to do with those kids once you have them because you're supposed to stay at home and be a mother. Like it, what it does is essentially removes all choices from the equation for women. Like everything is preset. You follow this path and there you go. Whereas a, a man in the church has a lot more freedom. Like it's not like somebody says you must be a doctor and here's the path you're going on. Mm-hmm. They have a whole lot more freedom in terms of how they're going to get satisfaction out of life and, and serve the world and things like that. Not only that, but men aren't told that they, that they should enjoy their role in their profession or they're broken. That's a good point. If you, if you're a man and you hate your job, it's okay to go back to school and get a different job to change your life radically. But as a mother, if you're unhappy as a mother, then you need to go find out why, what you did wrong. Well, or just have another kid. <laughs> because that was I had the a lot of friends when we were kind of going through our faith crisis and stuff. And they, because we just have two and my oldest is almost six or my youngest is almost six. And they're like, well, if you just had another baby, it would just help you to know the purpose of everything again. And like, no, that's okay. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, like there's been a, s- a study that came out in the 80s and it's been corroborate- corroborated several times since then that basically shows it studies um, the level of marital satisfaction, which maybe you could assume that that uh, reflects total satisfaction with life or things like that. But um, when, when people first get married, 
their level of, of happiness is, and marital happiness is really high, then the instant they have a kid, it immediately drops like in this U shape. And, um, and it, it hits the bottom when the kids are teenagers. And then once the kids leave the house, it goes right back up. And this has been <laughs> done over and over and over. The study has just been shown to happen that people, the kids like decrease that level of marital happiness and things like that, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I've heard that before. And I mean, it, the thing is that, that everybody who has children or most people who have children love their children, but that doesn't mean they love every part of being a parent. And that's what we're told as women is that we're supposed to love this role and we're supposed to just be completely satisfied. And I think that's just setting women up for disappointment as a mother and guilt. So um, I found kind of a horrifying uh, lesson from 2002 Young Women's Manual um, for the 12-year-olds. Before you read that, I want to make one little point. Um, When sometimes with some of the topics we do on Mormon Expression, we have to dig. You do not have to dig at all to find this shit. Oh, it's I mean, all over the place. I mean, you can open these books, and it is there. I mean, it is from front to cover. We now, did finding not, the gems is a little hard. We did not but... dig hard to find all this sexist um, bullcrap. Hey, bull speak crap. for yourself. You didn't do any digging. I sat and watched you do it. I did it for two hours. It was part of was, the household. It was digging. So, you just do it so much better. <laughs> okay, so this one is... Um, this is what the teacher is supposed to um, tell, tell the girls. Point out that the worldly view of mother's roles is false, partly because it is self-centered. It focuses so much on a woman's right to receive that it almost ignores her opportunities to give. The Lord's view is a broader one. It focuses on the opportunities of both men and women to love and serve. This view can help us avoid being caught up in selfishness and unhappiness. Explain that if we believe that life as a wife and mother is routine and boring, it will be. But if we can understand our divine purposes and realize the great potential we have, our role will take on greater meaning than any other task in this world by cheerfully and enthusiastically supporting our husbands and by bearing, nurturing, and teaching righteous spirits, we can experience the greatest fulfillment. This, That's I a doozy, think, huh? It's a doozy. <laughs> I think it comes back to the church redefining things. Uh, they're just telling us to redefine things, too. If you define your life as boring, it will be. And if you define it as exciting, it will be. Um, I So I, when my first one was born, I went back to work. And I was actually really happy to go back to work. But Nathan was still in college. And so um, I kind of needed to. You know, he wasn't done yet. When my second one was born, 16 months later, I stayed home with my two boys and that was my first time being a stay-at-home mom and I wanted to die I was so bored I was so bored I wanted to die it was crazy how horrible my life was and so I um, got called into the Relief Society presidency as as the homemaking counselor and I remember asking the the bishop I'm like you mean the education counselor and he's like nope the homemaking counselor and I was like you mean the education counselor because I had all this education and I had no homemaking skills, none, none. And, um, perfect opportunity. For it was you, the Chris. perfect opportunity. <laughs> I dove in and I learned so many skills that I still use today. So it was very helpful to me to have a goal and to have a purpose. And the church gave me that purpose because staying home with my kids was not enough. It took years before I was able to stay home and not be just miserable, miserable. Well, and you know, like, I think that's the key is that for some women, motherhood is really fulfilling and really satisfying. Like I have my two sisters who had babies at the same time. And one sister just loves it. She just thinks it's the best thing in the world. Part of it is that they were, they weren't able to have children for so long. And so when they finally had them, it was just the best thing in the world for her. Then my other sister, it's been like the dark night of the soul. It's been so horrible for her just dealing with the entire thing. And I, I think, um, I think what's really important is that um, is the choice aspect of it, you know, is being able to say this isn't working for me um, and let's figure out how this can work. But since since we 
um, since we can't, uh, that's not very good. So, so what I do like about the church is that it does give people like my sister who enjoys motherhood, it validates her and says what you're doing is, is good. And she gets a lot of fulfillment out of that. But for my sister who, for whom that experience doesn't work, um, it's just, it's just really beating her up. So it doesn't acknowledge the diversity in women. It just says you are by nature a mother. And it doesn't say, and as I was reading for this too, there, um, there was this great big, uh, a Mormon woman had written, I don't love every bit of, of motherhood. Some of it really sucks. And, um, and all the comments were, Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I love newborns. I can't stand toddlers. And somebody said, I hated my newborns and I felt guilty the whole entire time. Not hated my newborns. You but know it what I'm saying? It was very right? difficult. Give me a seven year old any day of the week. And, and there are different, women, different mothers, different people who act, who who are really great with different ages. It, well, and, can and you imagine somebody too. that's good from like newborn to college age? No, no. you're going to have something that fits your personality. Mine didn't come around until like now. And it's been a long time. And now I can finally, I really, really enjoy being the mother now. It took, and I felt bad for so long. Well, and, and the idea that all of these things are are um, women's duties and responsibilities, and that our only fulfillment, real fulfillment, is going to come from those things. When there are plenty of fathers who do equal amounts of fathering, and some stay-at-home fathers, and it's almost... <laughs> And you can see them, and they're nurturing, and they're they're perfectly capable of it. And so when, when the leaders are always saying, it's the women who have this nurturing gift, it's really kind of disparaging to the men, and it's it's unfair in both from both perspectives. Well, that's like um, I, I uh, take my son to a preschool, and sometimes um, while we're waiting for them to get out of school, a lot of us parents are congregating outside of the door, and there's one stay-at-home dad who's in the group. And finally, I mustered up the courage a little while ago to say, I think it's awesome that you're a stay-at-home dad, by the way. I think it's really cool that you're doing this for your family. And he immediately just started apologizing, like, oh, well, you know, my, my wife, she has to work because I'm in school right now. And, you know, he just said all these apologies. And I was like, no, I just gave you a compliment. <laughs> like, I think it's cool what you're yeah, doing. And, and <laughs> what if there was a, a man who just, he loved being a father and, and, and being with the kids all day. Why do we have to assume that women are going to do out that? out there that do, but they don't get the opportunities to. Right. Because we try to fit everybody into these two tracks, either the priesthood holder who works full time and supports the family and protects the family and leads the family or the woman mother who doesn't work outside the home and it does all the nurturing and bathing and washing and no anointing (laughs) (laughs) but i wash their feet yes every day (laughs) but you know speaking of of that i was just thinking about that this is sort of a modern construction in the church i was trying to rack my brain thinking through early church writings and this constant harping on motherhood wasn't there as a matter of fact the primary didn't even get instituted for the first 50 or 60 years of the church. There was no even concept of it. Um, but women were, in the early days of the church, seen as healers. They were, they did blessing, and they did anointings, and they... Speaking in tongues? The, and they were seen as midwives, and they seen as the, uh, these, these um, skilled sets in the community, not just go to your home and take care of your own so Change that you can diapers. produce more that we can consume later yeah i mean that 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 wasn't that didn't appear in, yeah, in, in the literature interestingly enough like in the days of polygamy a lot of uh, women would leave their children with their sister wives and go off and get medical degrees and then come back and be doctors in utah so. well that that happened but more common was their lousy husband was <laughs> up with his wife in idaho and they hadn't seen him in three years so they were in bringing in the the the, the harvest you know so so these women were very strong and very independent because they had no other choice and and so you don't see during the you know the polygamy years this talk about women's work or women's roles because except things like clerks you know things that were cushy jobs um the, because they had to do those things and I, it's it's sort of this weird question like why do we do it so much now M- my opinion is it's a reaction to um you know women's rights movements that have happened in the in the late part of the 19th uh, 19th century into the 20th century because more and more it seems archaic that the church gives all these privileges and accolades to men and gives nothing else to women so they have to pump up this this 
you know, once again, a fetish of, 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 of motherhood that, as you guys were just pointing out, doesn't really even exist. It's not even really, um, it, it's, it's sort of the church lately has gotten in the habit of talking about sex being sacred. Boy, are they setting up a lot of a whole generation for disappointment. I mean, <laughs> I, sex is a lot of things, but sacred is seldom one of them. And, and it, when you start putting things into these, these weird sort of, glass um you know museum pieces they're unachievable they're unattainable no one likes their kids all the time kids suck and they're gross and no one's gonna gonna (laughs) want to be around them all the time you know and they don't talk to you about things that you're interested in no they're rude and they're stupid they, they don't know very many things. They're not stupid. They, they just they, are... Blah, blah, blah. They're always talking. All of our mother instincts are like, kill him! <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but mothering and parenting, okay? Parenting can be extremely rewarding. But there's so many mundane things that go along with that that it it can just chip away the joy that, that could be there without such a heavy burden. So if... If the church would encourage more fathers to be nurturing and to kind of take a more equal role in household duties and changing diapers and giving baths and changing sheets and all that stuff, then they could both enjoy parenting more, I think. It's it's really hard when you have someone staying home and, and it usually is the woman because it's the downtime that you do the laundry in and it's the, the downtime. It's the mundane things get done during the day and the father might not have a lot of time to do the mundane things. They kind of have to get the joy parenting in, you know, because you want to have fun memories for the kids later. Yeah, dad rocked. <laughs> um, if dad's always doing the laundry, it's never going to be, yeah, dad rocked, you know? So it, it's one of those double-edged swords where if you're the one staying home, then you're going to end up doing the majority of the housework. True. And in a way, it's fair if if one of the partnership is out providing the the food and the house and the car and the shoes and the soap. Well, interestingly, <laughs> but, statistically enough like they've done studies where they've um, seen the division of household chores between men and women and even when the women are the one working outside the house they still do the majority of the household chores like is, speaking about america in general is that just because the roommate rule like the one with the the lowest tolerance the one with the highest standards always loses yeah I, uh, it could be, it could be and, and it could also be that women um don't trust their husbands to do things right or the way that they would yeah. do them. So they just prefer to just do it themselves, Well, that's, which isn't good. That's a theory about, they call that maternal gatekeeping, the idea that the woman has the certain way that she wants it done, and if he doesn't do it exactly right, that she's like, oh, just let me do it, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's one theory about why there's that inequality when it comes to household chores and things like that. Yeah, women can't really have it both ways. You can't say, if you're, if you're not going to do it right, don't do it. And damn you for not doing it. Exactly. Right. right. Because they, they have their own. But we, we as women and we as a culture and the church need to do more encouragement and teaching um, of the young men and the boys to prepare them for fatherhood. And say, yes, you are capable of yes, doing this. And here's <laughs> how you put on a diaper. And here's how you make um, pancakes or whatever. Well, you know, all, th- th- there is progress. I'll use my, my my mother here, who is a wonderful woman, as both a good and a bad example. She she always told us as boys, you know, you're going to have to go on a mission. You're going to go off to college. So she made, by the time we were 12, we had to do all of our own laundry. Um, you know, she taught us to iron. She taught us to, we had to, you know, once, I think Tuesdays were my night to cook dinner. And my mom went back to work when I was about 10. Um, so, so we, we had, we had that, that sort of stuff. So, so she was very good at making sure that we knew that when we got married, we couldn't just say, Hey, you know, it's, it's all on the woman. The the downside is she didn't do the opposite for my sister. Like she didn't say, you need to be highly educated. You need to learn the things that boys are learning. And, you know, like we would learn to change oil on a car or change a flat tire. And there was never that insistence that she do those things. You know, well, and plus your mom always, um, your mom bought her gifts for when she got married, your sister, yeah. and had a hope chest for her. She had a her. trousseau, yeah. 
You never had any such thing. No, so I had it... no doilies when we got married. None <laughs> so at the, all. The, but the, it, it puts the end goal as the marriage. The idea like, this is for what her you're set up marriage. for a mission and she's set up for marriage. Right. Well, I think that's even an interesting point, too, because, I mean, all this talk about motherhood is like what happens when your kids grow up? I mean, you've spent so much of your life focusing on just this really kind of short time when you have little kids and you're doing all of this nurturing and stuff. And so, yeah, what happens when the kids grow up and they're gone and you're still left with yourself, but all your identity is kind of wrapped up as being a mother. Well, and, and even growing up, you know, as, as a man, you know, you, you, at 12, you get this priest and you get this visible role, then you get more, and then you get a little bit more, then you get become an elder and you go on a mission, you come back and you'll, you'll go through almost your whole life with this progression of responsibilities, visibility, and callings. If you have a vagina, when you turn 18, you graduate from high school, bam, you're it, you're done. That's, you're not progressing any further. You're in the Relief Society. And oftentimes, like you pointed out, women in the Relief Society will serve in the callings when they're young. Um, especially if they're in a, a ward that, that demographic, so they can reach the pinnacle of their like church service by the time they're 26, and then the rest of their time is just to kind of coast through it, you know. So so until their mission, woo, <laughs> you know, when they're older. But but also, John and I were talking a few days ago about how it seems like in LDS families there is a tendency to keep our children as children under us, even when we're grandparents. So there's almost like um, children don't fully grow up. They're not seen as peers to their parents because their parents always have to be their parents because that's their eternal role. They cannot be peers to their children because it would... Because our identity and our ultimate reward as Mormons is to be parents... Um, and then it's part of your eternal to identity. become children, those roles are permanent. And, and where, where we were pointing this out is you see a lot of intelligent, successful people, um, in, in, in Utah, especially where their roles with their parents are sort of fixed from 50 years before. And people will go into these holiday parties where they fall into these old, old patterns because it's a religious, and I'm not talking just about, Mom has always talked to me this way. I mean, that's everywhere. But that, you know, you'll have grown people being given assignments by their 70-year-old parents and saying, you will come to visit us at 5 o'clock and we will have this 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 lesson. Because it it's it's the plan and the plan has to go eternal families forever. That's your eternal role. So you're always that child to that parent. But I think what's really problematic about that is that the, the parent's identity is centered in the children. So it's centered outside of yourself and it's something that you can't really control. That's a, a heavy burden for both the child and the parent. You know, yes. the child feels like they can't upset their parents or do anything that they, that would uh, cross them or make them look bad or upset their identity. You mm-hmm. know, this this is one of the strong reasons that people leaving the church is so difficult and difficult on families because it messes the whole plan up. Um, and they can't just go on and say, well, that, you know, he's an adult and he can make choices and I'll still love him. They'll, they'll say that, but you still screwed everything up because, You're lucky because they their role that. has been, has been thrown out of whack by whoever's leaving. Well, and you ruined their, if you're, if you're the child leaving the church, you ruined their eternal family that they worked so hard for and they, so they many times that's a sad thing they're not really angry that you left and ruined their perfect party it's more of a i think it depends on the sadness. person I think my mom was definitely angry your mom was angry but i think um you know with my parents it was more sadness and guilt like well, somehow yeah, they did they messed the, up the quote um well yeah that's like my husband you live your religion and you love god and fear god and you teach your children constantly training them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart of it. I promise you this. And it's President, you know, President Brigham Young, he's telling you. That's, I know where so much of the guilt my mom felt too was. I was promised if I did this good enough, you wouldn't leave. You left. I wasn't good enough. Yeah, exactly. If I'd been better, you wouldn't have left. That's Despite like my, all of my sacrifices. I'm and, and it's so demoralizing to see that in her face. Well, th- think about like, Anybody in the world would look at, say, Zilpha and I, you know, we have an, a nice home. Zilpha's in graduate school. I have a nice job. We get along well. We have good kids. They do well in school. 
you know, we have two cars and a half a cat and, and <laughs> all, we've been feeding a stray, <laughs> you know, all of that, all of that, um, people would say, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're happy. They're, they're successful in the eyes of our family. We are the ultimate failures. I, I mean, for all of you who are listening out there who aren't Mormons, it is hard to get across how fundamentally we felt. We've gone below being crack dealers. <laughs> and and it's it's just the whole thing is so ups and it's not just us. I mean it's 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 everybody in this room. This is like my my <laughs> husband's mom when we told her that we don't believe in the church anymore, she broke down and cried and said, "I thought I raised you better than that." You know, like she was taking it as though it was her fault. Like it had nothing to do with her. But at if all. that's what she is, I mean that's what we've been going over this past hour. If she is a mother and a mother in Zion to raise up for his righteous children, she failed. I took that away from my mother. The one thing the church gave her, and I pissed all over it. Um, and I can't, I can't give that back to her, and, and it broke her heart, and it continues to break her heart now, and there's nothing I can do about it, you know? Yeah, and this is just a heavy burden to bear. Oh, know? yeah, yeah, you it's know? awful. When you think you're making the right decisions for yourself and yeah mm -hmm. and for your children mm -hmm. do you want to talk i don't know where you're going you want to talk a little bit more about the spirituality and theology because i think it feeds into this um go ahead well i, I think it's important to point out here you know because we started at the beginning to talk about that there's this journey in mormonism we're all on we all started as spiritual children before we were born that was born to our mother in heaven or mothers in heaven um and then we came down to this earth life and we're supposed to get marry, you know, and, and form these family units, which go on forever. And, and that, that's, that's the theology that forevermore a, a woman's identity will be in birthing spirits, which is sort of an abstract concept. But the brethren have said over and over again, it's, a, it's akin to birthing children here on this, on this, uh, wor on this world. And you have mi literally millions. Of, you had a quote to me this afternoon. And we both dropped our jaws. They said, you'll be surrounded by millions of children. And we both went, no! <laughs> it was from Brigham Young. But, but I, I do want to point out that we can sort of, if we pattern ourselves after our mother in heaven, what do you all have to look forward to? Oh, this is something I really, really wanted to talk about. No, you can go S ahead. Say it. You'll say it better than I would because you, no, you'll feel it. No, I just think that the most dismissive the most dismissive part of being a mother and, t and and having everyone tell you how vital you are and how important you are and how you're a co-creator with God and and how important you are is the fact that you don't know anything about your mother in heaven she is so important right she must be because she had us and we're important and and we're supposed to, we're made in God's image. It's not mother in heaven's image. They don't say, man, you were created in God's image. And women, you have this awesome mother that you were created in her image. No, we're creating God's image. We just didn't get the penis, I guess, right? <laughs> like they never mentioned that part of our mom. The, what, what do we have to look forward to? An absentee mother. Nameless. Like, how much, faceless. how important is my job if my mother in heaven is not involved? Is nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere. She can't come visit me. So the most important thing, though, is that she's not necessary. Mother well, in heaven she's, isn't uh, she's necessary. Only necessary of the public sphere. She was only necessary to birth us, and spirits. that was it. And so no matter how much you talk about how important mothers are in our nurturing role, we're not nurtured by a mother in heaven. Her eternal role was to nurture. So obviously my eternal role is not to nurture, it's to have the babies. I just miss her so much. I think, how can you tell me how important I am when it's so glaringly obvious that there's a void ahead of me? So this bothered me a lot, so I did a lot of fasting and prayer. <laughs> I, I found the answer. Our mother in heaven left our father in heaven several <laughs> millennia ago, and he's still a little upset about it. So this isn't the normal pattern. This is his weekend? <laughs> Normally in an earth like this, we would all know her name, we'd celebrate her, we'd have a big festival, but he's a little pissed off. Um, but you're saying he's more powerful than her, because otherwise she would be the one talking to us. No, he left. She left. She took the, she took the house and the car. But and not the kids. What about the kids? She took the ones she wanted. We, we were the bad ones. No, it, 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 That's where the one-third went. It is, it is the ultimate insult to women to say you have this role, that it's motherhood, and mentioning a mother in heaven, which is essential to the, to the doctrine essential to Mormonism is that not only a taboo, it'll get you in trouble. If you go start talking, I'm not talking about praying to your mother. That, that can get you disfellowshipped. But just mentioning her in a talk, and we'll, you'll get a talking to from the brethren. And, and 
so your ultimate destiny is silence in the eternities to be the equivalent of not there. Yeah, so I think the analog is that she's she's there, but she's relegated to the private sphere. She can't be in the public sphere where she could do, where she could have any active role in our lives or anything like that. And that's supposed to be an analog for what the ideal woman actually is. She has to be in the private sphere, not anywhere in the public where she can, you know, make decisions or you know influence the people around her. So I think it's an analog that way. <laughs> and if you look, the most powerful woman in the church right now is Sherry Dew. She's the CEO of Deseret Book. Um, she wrote the biography of The Last Couple of Prophets. Um, and she appears all the time. When you watch these little segments on KSL Between Conference where the brethren are around schmoozing in Washington, D.C. or something, she is always there with them. She is the church's number one female ambassador. And she is... Unmarried. Single. But not... <clears throat> that doesn't mean she's not a mother. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it, it just, I, I think the reason I bring that up here is it, it shows that you can't, that, that if you're going to do anything, you know, motherhood is the opposite of being out there, out front, being active. It's that sacred space back here that we're not to touch. It's, mm -hmm. and it's, it's. You it, can't, you can't do both. You can't be a Sherry Do and, uh. A Marjorie Hinckley. Right. Like, she she had to be home. She was the mom. She supported the kids. She did everything. You you can't you can't do both. It's it's taking the virgin um, virgin whore complex to, you know, the nth degree. So do you think... My, my concern is that even if we don't love all the aspects of mothering... I think we're all mothers here, not not John, but but I'm I guess, one bad mother though. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, what what is the modern role for women in the church? What should it be? How should they how should they teach the young women? How should they? I say let them decide. Exactly, you know, let, let the them know they have themselves. options. Like, I don't know. But it, you can't it is trying to do it both ways. <laughs> it is difficult, though. I mean, it, it definitely does add stress to have both parents working. I have the answer. I know the answer to this. What is it? You just take a year and you swap the manuals. You have the the young man learn out of the young women's manual, and the young women learn out of the young man. And anything, <laughs> so awesome. anything that is absurd, you scratch out, and then you trade oh, the manuals would be back. Awesome. And then you're done. You wouldn't have much left. You know what I but... think. Is acknowledging that that so teach the young women that like that women are different. Acknowledging that some women are highly motivated to go to school and have a career. That maybe they'll be um, powerful influences influences on society and um, and, and that's that okay. some women are very happy being mothers and that's the best place for them and so. You just acknowledge the fact that what they want to do in their life is okay. And I, I think we should be fair. We can have this flip discussion for, for men for a lot of things we've talked about. The unrealistic expectations, the, the pushing people into roles they don't want to fill. I think the problem in the church boils down to and, – and, and even let me let's, – before I say that, let's acknowledge that a lot of the issues we're talking about here – about gender roles and ideas of perfection and, you know, motherhood as an idealized state happen outside the church, too. I mean, it's part of American culture. That's true. But I, I think one of the problems... We just like to up the ante. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, like to, we like to turn it up to 11. One of the problems in the church is that we don't want to allow for individuality. And that's, that's really... We want to define these roles and have everybody go lockstep with these roles. Well, and we don't want the women to have the priesthood, so they have to have something to feel good about and to, you know, to feel like they need the church for yeah and that, and that the church needs them for give people other avenues um and that's basically it and that's the answer it's not it's not a hard answer right and i think there have been times when when uh, the leadership has acknowledged that women aren't all the same and children aren't all the same and you're going to some women do have to work and or well, they never say it's okay if the woman wants to work, but... Right. It always has to have, like, well, if she has to, right. there's no if, other choice. If you than must. It, it would be nice if they said, if that is what would bring you the most fulfillment, 
then then that's where you should be. Well, I, I would even stop saying that. Start saying the things that, that the, the, the secular researchers are saying, which is you can be a good mother and still work. You can be a good parent and have raised good kids and be divorced. You know, there's, it's not, there's just this one sacred happy path to, 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 to fulfillment. There's or lots you, of them. Or you could just share the responsibilities, you know? There's a lot of, you know, like we could both parent. We could both work mm -hmm. here and there. We could both, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, like how they always say that it's an equal partnership. Like, do that. Yeah. One <laughs> Make thing, it equal. One thing yeah, I do want to point no out. There's no such thing as separate but equal, right? Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm used to sort of criticizing the church. I, I do want to point out that there has been a time shift that happened here. If we go back in time 40 years ago um, to the height of the Relief Society before, before the priesthood took it over, they were independent. They had their own building. Like pre-correlation? You're talking Pre like 50, 60 They had their own ago. magazine? I'm, I'm even talking to them. They had their own magazine with its own ads. With it its own women editors? Completely. So the, the, I, I, we, we need to have fully a podcast autonomous. about this. The Relief Society was fully autonomous. The Relief Society president was a lifelong appointment. She couldn't be touched um, uh, but by the brethren and and... But at the time, you know, so if we go to the, the height, the golden age, like 1967 probably, the Relief Society had wonderful programs that gave women support and built a community. When I was a kid, um, and I, I was born in 73, I would go with my mom to Relief Society, which happened in the week. And it happened in the day because a lot of the women were at home. The homemaking activity was once a week because that's women got together and they socialized. And they and what the brethren have seen happening is this structure that they that was built up in the church. It, it is it has been slowly eroding, and partly because women going into the workforce, but they haven't had anything to replace it. So now we have these hollow shells of these programs that provided value in women's life that did that 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 gave them training on the skills that they they needed. Now, the problem is we haven't updated those skills. It's not canning was a good thing to know how to do in Idaho in 1967. And some people enjoy it, but and, it's certainly not going to be a, a frugal thing anymore. So when the Brethren took over the Relief Society, they stuck the shell of the Relief Society in place. It got frozen in concrete, and then they gutted the, the heart and soul that the women had put into it. And we're left with just this this mess. It's just it's just a carcass now. <laughs> but it was at one point the church had all these great support organizations for for the women. Well, and part of it was that the women were the ones in charge of it, so they knew what the women wanted right. and needed. And it's it's and 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 the church now stands says we we will acknowledge begrudgingly that women have to work if they must now, but we're not going to give any support that way. And you we know, don't definitely never want to encourage that. And I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you Exhibit A. You go to most any church um, in the United States on a weekday, and what will you see there? You'll see a nursery. They'll usually use the churches that have that have childcare facilities. And oh, you mean like a preschool? A preschool, yeah. They will use those to to have a launching place. Sometimes they'll just lease the, the, the out or the church itself will sponsor a preschool because they know that women aren't all in the home. And the Mormon church refuses to do that because they refuse to legitimize women working out of the home. That's the kind of bullshit they have to stop doing to, to support and, and actually be uh, useful. You know, a lot of times when they talk about um, women working out of the home, it's, it's, no, every time they talk about women working out of the home, it's financial reasons. It's because you have to, your husband died, he doesn't, he's in school still. Your reasons are always financial. They never legitimize an emotional reason to work outside of the home. Yep. Yeah. That reminds me of this quote that I have um, from Russell M. Nelson from the May Inside of 99, because mothers are essential to God's great plan of happiness. Their sacred work is opposed by Satan who would destroy the family and demean the worth of women. So I think that kind of plays into that because if we were really happy being a mother, then that would fulfill all of your needs. So if you're not happy, it's really Satan who's trying to make you feel less than and making you think you need to find your happiness somewhere else. Right. And, uh, I guess there's something there. Okay. So even though we, we all acknowledge that there is joy in parenting, there's got to be some problem that people, mothers are coming to the church with saying, this isn't that fulfilling to me. Um, because, uh, M. Russell Ballard, 2010 said, 
um, teach your daughters to find joy in nurturing children. This is supposed to be our eternal um, capacity quality. to nurture, but we're supposed to teach our daughters to find joy in like nurturing it, children. It's a natural thing, but you have to be taught how right. to have joy <laughs> as a mother. You know, it's ironic know. that way. So I, I, they're definitely, definitely aware that many women do not find very much joy in, in these mothering roles and homemaking roles. But they keep insisting that everybody has to do it. And I just wish that they would stop it because it's, it is harmful psychologically for women who do not enjoy it, who do not get fulfillment out of it, to be stuck in a house, in a box by themselves all day long with children. It's, it's unhealthy for anybody, and especially if it's not something that you really, really enjoy. One thing that I think is weird is like the family, the proclamation of the world. Like, what is its status in the church? Uh, like, remember the infamous talk that Boyd K. Packer gave in October 2010 that uh, raised the big brouhaha. One thing that that you might not have noticed is one of the other edits that was made to his talk from the time that he delivered it to the time that it went to press was he said that uh, the family, the proclamation of the world is a revelation. And they changed that to the word guide in the oh, really? in the written version. So I was like, what is going on with that? Like, wow. what is it? Is it a revelation? Is it well, canonical? Well, they want it, it to be a guide, not a revelation. Yeah. So hmm. it's kind of Weasley, I that think. Is interesting. What? The church being Weasley? <laughs> So uh, I think we should um, wind up our discussion. Anybody ha- have anything else to add before we do? I, I do think, just as an FYI, for extra reading for our podcast listeners, you should check out To the Mothers of- in Zion by President Ezra Taft Benson. Google that. Really, um, this is like the holy grail of everything we've been talking about. This was the talk that really kind of made a lot of women leave the workforce voluntarily, things like that. So Google that for extra reading. I want to say that um, being able to accept, to admit that parts of motherhood were not pleasant and that I really didn't like some aspects made my life so much better and so much happier because I didn't have the guilt of thinking I was faulty because I wasn't happy. Um, And then I found things that made me happy that still fit within the purview of being a mother. I can still be a mom and I can be happy and it's okay it's okay to be unhappy with parts of it. Mm-hmm. Melissa, you've been kind of quiet. Do you have anything else? To- <laughs> no, I, I just, I'm just sitting here nodding. I agree with everything. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of echo what Chris was saying. I mean, I, I think what's hardest for me about this whole topic is how much I used to eat it up. And I was totally that girl that just couldn't wait to get married and have kids. And I thought I was going to have like six kids. And I mean, I'm the youngest, so I don't know if that plays a role. Um, But I just, I really had a hard time being a mom. And I don't know if I missed that Sunday, but like I, I was never really taught how to do it all and how to find it all emotionally fulfilling. And so those were some of like our hardest years, I think. And once I recognized in myself that I, I could allow myself to find happiness somewhere else besides just with my kids and just with my husband and I'm talking about working. Um, it's just made such a difference for us and for our family. And my husband helps out now and, you know, I'm able to work and I feel so much more fulfilled. And when I'm home being a mom, I love being a mom. And when I'm gone working, I love working. And I feel like, that's a really good option for people too. If, you know, if, if they want it and Mm -hmm. just being able to feel like you have that option, I wish the church would, would address that more. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, you just wasted another (laughs) hour plus with Mormon expression. Um, and the discussion is going to continue on mormonexpression.com. Thank you everybody. Good night. Thanks.